Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Marty. Actually, my name is not Pastor Marty. My name is Marty. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. That would be a heck of a name, wouldn't it? I remember reading there's a Christian songwriter named Ken Bible. I'm like, come on, really? Like, anyway, my name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is a joy to be up here to serve you uh, by letting us get together in the Word of God. So I encourage you uh, right now uh, that you would open up to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, and it's on page 499 in your pew Bible. If you do not have a Bible with you, I really encourage you to open up the Bible, whether it's your own or a pew Bible in front of you, because we want to let God speak through his word, and I want you to be able to see it, not just hear it from me. So it would be good to open it up there. And we'll also be reading a second passage this morning. You'll see it up on the screen Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And so we'll be looking at Psalm 95 first and then a little bit at the end of Hebrews chapter 3. So just in your notes or if you want to make sure you have a, a bookmark back in Hebrews, that would be really helpful. Okay. Psalm 95, verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise with him, to him, with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Now let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 7 through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. And again, it would be really good that you turn there. And you'll see verses 7 through 11 is just a quote from the psalm we just read, Psalm 95. So we'll pick up there in verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed... We hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is, said, it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest But to those who were disobedient, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
Again, this is the word of the Lord. Flip back to Psalm 95 and I will open us with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you have spoken clearly in your word and that your spirit is with us this morning so that together, word and spirit, we may be quickened to your voice. Today, Lord, you indeed have spoken our speaking, Lord, through your word, and we want to be attentive. Please let us listen well, Lord. Please let us listen with the intent to obey and praise you and worship you with all of our lives. We love you so much, Lord, and we're so thankful that you speak to us. We're so thankful that you speak words of promise and words of warning. And we ask you, Lord, that we heed those this morning and that we will love you and cherish you all the days of our lives. Be with us now, Lord. Amen. Now, as you look at Psalm 95, probably there's no doubt, as you just glance through it, that this psalm is all about worship. Now, worship is one of those Christian words that you hear a lot. You may even use the word a lot when you talk about Christianity. I saw someone wearing a t-shirt around that said, right across the chest there, made for worship. And in fact, many Christian theologians would say the same thing about our lives, except they would take about 15 sentences to get there. That worship is the central part of the Christian life, and in fact, maybe the summary of the Christian life. So here's my question as we start out this morning. What is worship? What does it mean to worship? Comedian Brian Regan, he talks about the time when he had to move houses. And he had all these boxes sitting there, and he thought, well, instead of me moving them, why don't I just call UPS, have them come over, pick them up, and they'll take them to my new address. So he thought, this is easy. Just call them up. So he phones up UPS. He says, hey, here, I'm at such and such address, and I need you to come pick up these boxes. And the response in their line was, sure, no problem. All we need to know is the weight and the girth for each box. He didn't realize it wasn't so easy. And he said to the person back on the phone, well, I really don't know the weight of each box, and I don't know what girth means. (laughs) And I think that's a little bit how it comes to worship. It's so simple to say, yes, Christians are to worship God, or our whole lives are about worship. And if you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you've heard that word, but what does it mean? I had a great example of this in our small group last year. We had a brand new Christian guy come to our group, a great guy, and I love the fact that he showed up. And that night that he showed up, we were talking about the differences between Old Testament and New Testament worship. And someone gave a great uh, example or a great answer about those differences from the text in John that we were reading. And they said, New Testament worship is about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I love my friend there who, unafraid to ask questions, he shot his hand up never shy, and he says, okay, that, that's helpful, but what is worship, and what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? And our small group struggled to give him a concrete answer. And I don't want to throw this small group under the bus, because my hunch is, is that most of us would struggle to give a Christian jargon-free definition of worship. So if you're here this morning as a seasoned Christian, I just encourage you, maybe you have a pen or pencil with you, you have some notes there, jot down on your paper, or at least put in your head what you would say to this person. What is worship? 
And if you're a new Christian here today, or you're new here to this church, and you've not really thought about this much before, you've probably heard the word worship. Maybe the same exercise is for you. Just jot down or put in your head, what do you think it means to worship? Okay, you got that? Okay. Because I think the Psalms, as we've already talked about a number of times this morning, are a great tool to teach us about what worship is. And this, this psalm, Psalm 95, is a great testimony for what God has for us to learn about worship. And if we look there at the, uh, at the short psalm, 11 verses there, I think we'll be able to come up with some ideas about what worship is and some very important implications about it. So this morning, a little bit different, we're just going to walk through this psalm, for kind of verse by verse or section by section, and then tease out some thoughts about worship and how we might answer that person, and really, not just for him, but for us, all of us. You'll see there in Psalm 95, the first two verses are simply a call to the faithful people of God to sing praises to him, to sing sincerely and joyfully. And we praise God, as this psalm says, because who he is and what he has done. And you keep reading through the psalm as we had, and you see there in verses 3 through the first part of 7 that indeed it gives us why we should worship this God. And you could sum up the reasons the psalmist gives us really in two words. Because he is so very great and he is so wonderfully graceful. You see that there in verses 3 through 5. That he is great because he is the amazing and meticulous creator of everything in the world. He is great and sovereign as the creator and sustainer of the world. And those reasons are enough, the psalmist says, to praise him, to sing about him on high with all the gusto we can give. He is our creator. He is great. He is our king. And because he is our king, verse 6 commands a certain physical posture if we were to come in front of this king, in front of our maker, as it says there. We are to bow down and kneel before him because of his great power, because of who he is. And then you see there in verse 7, he's not only great, he's also graceful. Because you see there in verse 7, it is a verse that kind of just says something kind of obvious. We are the people of his pasture. He is our God. But that echoes back in verse 1 that he, this great God of ours, this great God who made the whole world, he is our God. He's our God. He's the rock of our salvation. And though undeserved, we are are the people of his pasture. And that's why this God full of grace, that's why this God who is so very great is worthy to be praised. He's our shepherd, as verse 7 says, our good shepherd who will protect us as his flock. This powerful and wonderful king, this creator of every single thing in the universe is your God, is my God. And that's what makes it so wonderful to praise him. And then you get in verses, the second part of uh, 7 on into 8, which I think is very clearly the central piece of this psalm. And it's a very stark verse, isn't it? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The king is making a proclamation. And the psalmist reminds the people not to harden their hearts, to listen well. 
And the logic is quite simple. If there is a God who is great, if there is a God who is graceful, if there's a God who wants to be your God, then we indeed should listen if he speaks, shouldn't we? And then if we listen, we should also respond. We should obey. We should do as he tells us to do. And that's really what the rest of the psalm tells us in verses 8 through 11. Today, if you hear his voice, respond by listening to him. But there's more at stake here than just the logic of these passages. Look what the psalmist does. Today, if you hear his voice, there's that sense of great urgency. Today, if you hear his voice, do not put off listening to this Lord. And to show how important this is, the psalmist gives them a little bit of a history lesson. Now, I was supposed to be a third generation high school history teacher. My grandfather was a high school history teacher. My father was a high school history teacher. I'm not a high school history teacher. This goes with the flow of my failures in the Sweeney family. But that's okay. I still love history. And as a history lover, I remember so keenly when my dad would always say that phrase that I'd roll my eyes out, eyes out then, but really come to believe today. This famous phrase you've probably heard, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And no doubt that mantra is what the psalmist is getting here in the last part of this psalm. He references two places where Israel hardened their hearts. And this happened way back a long time ago now, compared to these people, when Israel was in the wilderness, right after they came out of Egypt, on their way to the promised land. The time when Moses was leading them, as we heard referenced in Hebrews 3. And there's two points of reference here, two names that brought shivers down the spine of the Israelites. That is Meribah and Massah in verse 8. You could read more about Meribah if you go back to Exodus 17 and more about Massah if you go to Numbers chapter 20. But taken together, these names form a perpetual reminder of the disobedience of Israel in the wilderness when the people strove with God over their lack of food, over their lack of provision. And their complaint, which just started out as just a little bit of a murmuring, hey, is God going to take care of us here, rose to the level of complaint. Hey, why aren't you taking care of us, rose to the next level of saying, God, you won't take care of us, will you? And these accusations against their great provider accuse God to the very core of who he is, his character, his integrity, to do what he said he would do. And all these words that came through servant Moses... All those miracles, perhaps some of you remember the story of water coming out of a rock, manna coming down from heaven, shoes did not wear out. All these miracles, all these words from the Lord, and they still doubted. They still complained. They still questioned. God just simply says, trust me, I'm with you, I'm for you. But they hardened their hearts instead. And look at God's response to that generation that you see there. In verses 9 and 10 and 11, he loathed that generation. Another translation, he was disgusted with that generation. And then he swore, he swore that they would not enter the promised rest, the promised land. Their accusations cannot go on. And as their king, he couldn't let them continue to rebel against him. And so he punished them in his wrath by not allowing them in the promised rest. Well, that's Psalm 95 in a nutshell. Now, my ESV Bible here 
has a little subtitle. And it says that this psalm is all about singing and praising and worshiping God. But did you notice something here about the psalmist? Starting out as a joyful praise leader, this psalmist seemed to turn rather dour and firm by the end, didn't he? Perhaps you've heard a song or two based on verses 6 and 7. Growing up in the praise music era in the 90s that I did, you know, oh, come let us worship and bow down. That song was played over and over again. But my hunch is that you haven't heard many songs written about verses 8 through 11. Do not harden your hearts that I may loathe you. You know, you never hear those kinds of songs. What happened? Did the worship band run out of music by verse 7 and they just had to stop? They had to ask the awkward assistant pastor to come up and fill in the rest of the time and he just didn't know quite how to do it? What happened here in Psalm 95? Well, that's probably not what happened. But what may happen is that the fact that maybe our view of worship is a bit too narrow. Our view of what it means to worship God is not as much informed by the Bible as we think. I do think this entire psalm is about worship. But I just don't think we have a great definition of what worship is. So what ideas from this psalm, from these 11 verses, can we draw out to think about what true, authentic worship is? And then I think we can answer our friend in the middle of a Bible study and give some really biblically informed, helpful ideas of what true worship is. And I think, in response, he and us could go out and worship God with everything we have, as Pastor Chris referenced earlier. So I think there's really three key points about worship as we read this psalm and go back through it again. Worship is indeed praising God, as the first verses say. But worship is also listening to God, as verse 7 says. And then worship is responding to God, as verses 8 through 11 say. No doubt that part of worshiping God is to praise him, to promote his name, to speak well of him out loud and in public to anybody. That's what this psalmist commands us to do, to praise his name. He is a great God to be praised, and and God gives us a wonderful gift, a wonderful vehicle to do that kind of praising, and that's the gift of music. That's the gift of song. And I couldn't help but be moved sitting there singing these these great lyrics this morning, thinking about our wonderful and great God. Worship is praising God, but did you notice the structure here in Psalm, in this psalm? Notice how verses 1 through 6 lead up to that pivotal part in the second half of 7 and on into 8. It seems in a way that verses 1 through 6 are preparatory for the key point in verses 7 through 8. Perhaps to get you in the right frame of mind as you prepare to hear his voice. To get your spiritual posture right, bowing down before the Lord of God, your maker, so that you indeed will listen intently and eagerly because he's speaking to you. And that's the second part of what worship really is. True worship is praising God, but true worship is also listening to God. See, the praise of verses 1 through 6 gets you ready to listen to God. It's put you in the right frame. He's a great God. He is a wonderful God. He is your maker. You should listen to him. See, verses 1 through 7 of the psalm are often thought as the heart of worship. And that's why we have these songs based on these verses. 
It seems to me, though, that this psalm is saying that the heart of worship is listening to God. See, many people think that true worship of God is about making a joyful noise, singing loudly and wonderfully to him. That true worship is about what we say to God, primarily through song. But what verses 1 through 7 are doing are, as I said, getting us in the right frame of mind, in this right spiritual posture, so that we will listen to God, who is worthy to be listened to. If the great king is going to speak, don't you think it's worthwhile to listen? Worship is praising God, but there's more to it than that. It's not primarily expressed in our praising and singing to God, True worship centers not on us speaking to God, but on God speaking to us. And that's our belief here at Old North Church. Friends, many churches have given up on this belief, but we believe that God speaks powerfully through his word. And that we hear his voice today if we open up the Bible and read it and meditate on it. And that's why we here at this church put so much emphasis on the Bible whether that's the centrality of teaching and preaching or Bible studies that happen regularly throughout the week or or our exhortation to you to read your Bibles regularly. We take seriously verse 7 in that true worship comes by listening to God. So maybe I'll put it another way. Worship is not primarily, primarily about our feelings about how we're connecting with God this morning whether we like the music or not, much more important than our feelings towards God and towards the music and towards just our circumstances, much more important than that is God's feelings towards us. He is the rock of your salvation. He is your God. He is your maker. And you hear that as you listen to him speak. So true worship is praising and acknowledging that God indeed is great and worthy to be praised and needed to be listened to. So if worship consists of listening to God, it must flow on then that worship must consist of praising God, listening to God, and responding to God. And that's why we have the warning back there in verses 8 through 11. This warning is against hard-heartedness. And it's very striking, isn't it? At the time the psalmist wrote this, it's very interesting. At the time the psalmist wrote this, probably the time of David, these people were already in the promised land. So what was their warning? It wasn't the same warning back the time of Moses. You won't enter that land. They were in the land and probably in the most prosperous time in the history, history of Israel. So what was their warning? Their warning is, as it comes there at the end of verse 11, that they shall not be in my rest, the Lord says. That they won't be, if they continue with hard-heartedness, in a peaceful and permanent, restful relationship with the Lord. One commentator put it this way, those who hear and obey God's word demonstrate that they are indeed people of God and will have a share in the promised inheritance to come if they listen to him. But those who do not respond properly, those who harden their hearts, may not enter into that rest. True worship, friends, consists of more than just singing. 
It must be more than just showing up here on Sunday mornings. And it must consist even more than listening to a sermon. True worship flows through with a commitment not just to praise him and not just to listen to him, but say, Lord, what you're saying is right and I'm going to change in response. I'm going to listen to you. Praising God, listening to God, responding to God. Now, there are all sorts of implications for this, but I just want to list out three. I want to list out three key implications of how we think with this view of worship. And the first implication is how we think about Sunday mornings. It's clear by now, as I just said, just showing up for 75 minutes a week can't be the limitation of worshiping God. Worshiping worship is something we do for our entire life. We praise him always. We listen to him daily and we respond to him in repentance and faith every day. I think that's what Romans 12 is saying, isn't it? Offer your whole lives as acceptable sacrifice to God. This is your worship to him. Offer yourself to God all the time, everywhere, any place. That's worship. Maybe some of you have heard of the Youngstown Business Incubator. You may have read articles about it in the newspaper. It's located downtown, and in and of itself, it is a business. It transacts. It changes money. It seeks to grow. It develops. It comes up with ideas and gets them out into the marketplace. But it also seeks, as the name suggests, to incubate business outside its walls, outside of what it does just there downtown. And if it didn't do that, then the name would go against itself, wouldn't it? Its mission statement says that we want to facilitate the creation of high-value businesses out there. Well, I think this is a very similar way we should think about church and worship. We come to Sunday mornings together here, as we've talked about, and we do worship while we're here. We praise. We listen to God. We give. We are given thoughts and exhortations about how we're to go and respond to God. But if none of those things happen out there, beyond our walls, then we failed at true worship here and there. So Sunday mornings are kind of a a worship incubator, if you will, for the rest of your lives, the rest of everything you do. Worship doesn't stop when the final song or the final prayer ends. It continues on. Just like Psalm 95 says, do not harden your hearts as long as it's called today. And Monday's called today, Tuesday's called today, every day's called today. And those are the days we respond to God. Those are the days we worship, including what we do here today. Don Carson says it so well. Such a view of worship is not designed to... appreciate what we do corporately on Sunday morning. It's designed rather to ensure that all of life is lived in faithful and delighted obedience to the gospel of God, with the result that what we do corporately when we come together on a Sunday morning or any other time is the overflow of our experience of God and a place to be refreshed in the joy of the Lord as we think through his word, express our praise and thanksgiving, and deepen our links of love with him and one another. Psalm 95 changes our view of worship so that we think differently about Sunday mornings. We think differently about the sermon. Right? We don't just worship God when we wonderfully emotionally connect with him during these great songs that our team leads us in. Friends, you are worshiping right now as you listen to God. 
And the psalmist is pleading with you, do not harden your hearts when you hear my voice. Don't be like those people. So what does that mean for us on Sundays? I just, there's so, so many ideas, but just a few that you can take home and think about. Some of the, the ideas that if worship of all of life is so important and that the, the word of God, listening in God, is the cent- central piece of worship, then that may mean some really practical things like before you come on Sunday morning, read the passage. You're worshiping then and you come and worship God by having Pastor Nick or Pastor Chris or someone exhort you how to respond to God. Come having read and thought about and prayed about the passage. I know this feels like a quaint suggestion from a time long ago, but I think it still stands true. Good, get a good night rest on Saturday evenings. Come ready to hear his voice. If this is the centerpiece of our entire lives, today if you hear my voice, the Lord says, do not harden your hearts. If this is the key response for you this morning, then you would want to be well rested. Perhaps as you take notes on Sunday morning is a good idea and you can write down ways you can remember some of the key points throughout the week. Because I know if you're like me, I'm at the unfortunate state where sometimes I close the Bible and that's it. I don't remember anything. I don't think about anything. That is not true worship, friends. And maybe right after a Sunday morning service, you could come together in the hallway over coffee as you walk out to the parking lot and find a friend and say, hey, listen, how about we help each other think about what was said this morning? I want to respond to God. I do not want my heart hardened. Please help me. Pray for me in this, this, and this way. How can I pray for you? Remember that one point he made? Let's pray for each other on that. True worship revolutionizes the way we think about Sunday mornings, but it also revolutionizes the way we think about every day. So let's not, let's not miss out on the obvious. If true worship centers on listening to God, then you have a wonderful privilege that many people in the history of Christianity did not have. You have a Bible in your language that you could read anytime. And now with devices, phone, tablets, There's really no time you don't have access to the Bible. And now with sermon podcasts in so many ways, today, every day, anytime, you can hear his voice. And I think one simple takeaway from today is that probably most of us need to make a commitment or a recommitment to read our Bibles regularly. But I want to just say that it's not just to read it regularly, it's to read it with a heartfelt desire to respond in obedience Again, unfortunately, don't be like me. Sometimes I read the Bible in the mornings and by 9 o'clock and getting to the office, I don't even remember what I read. It's because I didn't think about Psalm 95. I didn't say, Lord, this great, wonderful God, you spoke to me and I want to respond in obedient faith. I want to persevere so that I have this wonderful rest that you promised. Read your Bible. And if you are reading your Bible regularly, are you meditating on it? Are you thinking about it? Lord, how do I respond to you faithfully? In the 16th century, Thomas Cramner wrote the Book of Common Prayer, and he called this psalm the everyday psalm. In the Book of Common Prayer, Cramner laid out daily readings for the people. They turned open the Book of Common Prayer and said, which passages read for the day? But interestingly enough, every day before the reading for the day, said, read Psalm 95. Why? Because Psalm 95 gets us in the right posture to hear the word. 
this great and wonderful God is about to speak to you today if and when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's the rock of your salvation. Listen to him. He's your maker. Listen to him. He's your shepherd. He will guide you if you listen. It could be a simple habit of praying before you come to church, before you open Bible on any morning, anytime you go in the Bible study, Lord, please keep me from hardening my heart. Lord, search me and try me so that it will be open to your sometimes very hard insight into my life. Lord, change my mind, soften my heart so that I may hear you clearly in your word and receive your promises on a path to the wonderful and permanent rest you have for me. There's one more implication for the everyday. We have implications for Sundays, but we have implications for Mondays, Tuesdays, and the rest of the week. And that's what we read in Hebrews chapter 3. Quickly turn there, and you'll see, even though Hebrews is a lot about what the difference is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 3 is saying, actually, there's been something going on in the history of humanity all the way back at Meribah and before, all the way back to David's time, and for us, we can say all the way back to when Hebrews was written. The same thing has been going on, and that comes in verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 3, that sin is so very deceitful. There's no difference there between the Old and New Testament. And if sin is so very deceitful, and it's so tempting for us to believe it, to say, this is a better way of living, this will make me happy, God really won't punish me if I do this, there's a much better life in store if I follow its ways. And the writer to Hebrews says, quoting this psalm, do not harden your hearts, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, as verse 13 says. So part of your worshipful response to God is not just to hear his voice and respond for yourself, but to help each other respond. I need you to say, brothers, stop believing that sin is so good. Stop believing that sin is not is so very near, because it is. And you need me to do the same for you, and you all, each other in this room, need the same. Today is the day Not just to hear his voice, but today is the day that you are to encourage one another in Christ. And that's not just Sunday, but that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and on through the rest of the week. Today is that day. Friends, true worship is a wonderful blessing. We get to praise his name. We get to listen to the creator of the universe and what he has for us as his people Today is the hear day to hear the voice of God. And I know some people may be on the verge of hardening their hearts today, and I want to plead with you with Psalm 95 and with Hebrews 3, do not give in. Do not be deceived to the temptations of sin. Some of you are today thinking, I'm good. You know, I read my Bible every day. I come to church regularly. I'm good. And Scripture says, be careful lest you fall too. Psalm 95 was written to a bunch of, to put it in our terms, established, mature Christians. And what was Psalm 95 saying? Today, if you hear his voice, be careful, do not harden your hearts. And there may be some of you here today who have a hard heart that you've never come to the place where you want to worship God. You've never come to the opportunity, have the opportunity to say, you know what, this is the day I've heard God speak and I will respond. 
And indeed, if you've heard God speaking today and say, yes, this is from the Lord, you've never responded, come talk to us. We'll be here up front. We'd love to talk and pray with you and say, God has a wonderful message for you. He can forgive you of your hard hardness and actually soften your heart and put you on the path to that wonderful rest. True worship. That's what Psalm 95 commends. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and gratitude and praise because he is a great God. Sing with an open heart and be eager to hear his word. Sing, preparing your hearts and your minds for the God who speaks. So you're here today and we've sung some some wonderful songs just like the psalmist said we should. You've heard the word of the Lord preached to you, you've heard God's voice in his word, and that's wonderful. But remember, the people in the wilderness heard God's word, and they didn't enter into his rest. The word of the Lord is not to be ignored, Psalm says. It's not to be procrastinated upon. It's the command for us today, for now, as long as it's called today, Dwell on the wonderful great God of verses 1 through 7. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation and follow him and listen to him and respond to him all the days of your lives and you will be truly worshiping a great and wonderful God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank and praise you for who you are. We need your help, Lord, that you would not let us harden our hearts. Soften us, Lord. In the depths of our minds and our hearts and our affections, we think we know better than you. And we are so stupid and so sorry. Lord, in the depths of our understanding of this world, we think we've got it together and we're sorry. Today, Lord, let us not harden our hearts, but respond to you so that you may lead us to wonderful, permanent, amazing rest that you have for us. Will you, where you will be our God and we will be your people singing your praises forever and ever. Make that happen, Lord. We trust you that you will. Amen.